Good morning, everyone. That was sensational. Um, to sing so many songs that are so focused upon Jesus and what he has done. Um, and what a wonderful time, particularly at Easter, to be able to focus on such things. Uh, we're going through our series at the moment, The Road to Calvary. And I thought this morning what we might start off with, um, this close to Easter and in such a rich part of Scripture that is so narratively focused, that we might uh, just spend the time, well, spend a chunk of time reading through Mark chapter 15. We're going to read the whole chapter and just follow Christ from judgment to then being crucified um, from start to finish. And there is, I'm realising more and more, being at Bible college, just a richness that comes with being able to just hear someone read it to you. Um, So I'm not going to have the words up. I'm just going to read. Uh, And I hope that you uh, are able to soak up what's there and then we'll pray and get on with the message after that. So this is Mark chapter 15. As soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. They bound Jesus, led him away, handed him over to Pilate. Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He answered him, you say so. Then the chief priest accused him of many things. Pilate asked him again, have you no answer? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further reply so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the festival, he used to release a prisoner for them, anyone for whom they asked. Now a man called Barabbas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder during the insurrection. So the crowd came and began to ask Pilate to do for them according to his custom. Then he answered them, Do you want for me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he realised that it was out of jealousy that the chief priests had handed him over. But the chief priests had stirred up the crowd to have, uh, to have them release Barabbas for them instead. Pilate spoke to them again. Then what do you wish for me to do with the man that you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, crucify him. Pilate asked them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wished, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released Barabbas for them. And after flogging Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. Then the soldiers led him into the courtyard of the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole cohort, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and after twisting together some thorns into a crown, they put it on him, and they began, uh, began saluting him. Hail, King of the Jews! They struck his head with a reed, spat upon him, and knelt down in homage to him. After mocking him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, then led him out to crucify him. They compelled a passerby who was coming in from the country to carry his cross. It was Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Then they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it. And they crucified him and divided his clothes among them, casting lots to decide what each should take. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two bandits, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads, saying, Ha ha! 
You who, call, who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests, along with the scribes, were also mocking him among themselves, saying, He saved others, yet he cannot save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross now so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also taunted him. It was noon. Darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, listen, is he calling for Elijah? And someone ran, filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a stick and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Then Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now when the centurion who was facing him saw that this is the way that he breathed his last, he said, truly, this was God's son. There were also women looking on from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger and of Jose and Simon. These used to follow him and provide for him when he was in Galilee. And there were many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem. When evening had come, and since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respectable member of the council, who was also himself waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate wondered if he was already dead. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he had been dead for some time. When he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the body to Joseph. Then Joseph brought a linen cloth and taking down the body, wrapped it in the linen cloth and laid it in a tomb that had been hewn out of the rock. He then rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jose, saw where the body was laid. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning because you are a God that is worthy to be praised, because you have saved us and brought us to a place where we may read your word and find in it life. Lord, it is in this season in particular at Easter that we remember Jesus on the cross. Remember his life, his death and his resurrection. And Father, we pray in particular that this morning... As we have read scripture, as we're about to hear a sermon, Lord, that you would continue to reveal to us who you are. Lord, bring us to a, a greater renewal of understanding of what it is that occurred on the cross, what price was paid. Help us to understand the depths of our own sin that we may comprehend the depths of your glory and the wonder of what happened to Jesus as he handed himself over to die. Open our eyes this morning. We are totally re reliant on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know if anyone recognises this. This is a painting done by Salvador Dali, Christ of St. John on the Cross. 
What's remarkable about this painting, and I'm not a man that usually gets all that into paintings, is the perspective. It's looking down upon the cross. And as you look upon the cross, you see the sign, the King of the Jews stuck to the top. You see Jesus hanging. But then you see the, the tapered lines leading you down to what is a depiction of the, of the world, of earth at the bottom. And it's an interesting painting. I'm not sure what Salvador uh, Dali originally intended it to be, but as I look at that, I think, gee, that is a very Christian perspective. You can only see the world when you first, first perceive the cross. You must look at its full length before you get a real glimpse as to how the world truly is. It's a very Christian way of looking at the cross, and it is wonderful. But... Uh, sorry, so I'm already lost in my notes because I'm trying something totally different this morning by not using them. Uh, <laughs> the cross is so central to Christianity, isn't it? It's what we place all of our faith, all of our beliefs upon this action, this symbol. But I wonder if in all of its meaning to us, have we lost sight of it? Many of us wear small copies of the cross, usually around our necks. Some of us have tattoos of them. Often in our churches, we have a really big cross sitting somewhere in the building, either in the auditorium. We've probably got some in the office. Some of the older churches have a cross that's on the highest point of the church so that the whole surrounding neighbourhood knows what it is that we believe. But how well have we held on to the significance of what the cross really means? You see, we have this wonderful ability as humanity to take what is absolutely incredible and make it into something that is very mundane. We take what is marvellous and make it ordinary. I think it's probably humanity's superpower if it wasn't uh, for the fact that it wasn't super at all. We take what is beautiful, what is awe-inspiring, what changes our lives and we make it something that we forget about and it hangs around our, our necks or it hangs in our rooms or in our dining rooms um, or in our offices and we forget. A new phone is a classic example of this. How proud we are when we get a new phone. So quick are we to take it down of our pockets and show everyone. The classic brag of the new phone is of course the megapixel. Back in the day, my phone had four megapixels. It was amazing. You didn't want to zoom in anywhere on the picture because you couldn't. But now, megapixels have gone from jumped from four to eight to 10. Now my phone takes a 40 megapixel photo. Amazing. And it requires, it has not just one lens now to take it, but three lenses. Why that is necessary, I don't know. But we brag, we make so much about this. We clean it with the special cloth that it comes, with the, it comes in the case that it came with. But of course, over time, we stop doing that. My phone's now a year old. I don't bring it out to show people. I don't use the cloth. Often, I'll just use whatever filthy T-shirt I'm wearing at the time, if I can be bothered cleaning it at all. You're now no longer so precious about it that you wouldn't hand it to your children. We'll see what happens. I'm not worried. 
we turn something that once was marvellous and special to us into the mundane. Israel is a great example of this as well. Travelling in the wilderness, does anyone know how it is that they were fed? I'm looking for an answer. Manna, absolutely. Every day they would wake up in the morning and find that a new miracle had been performed. They would find food just on the ground that they would go and pick up. Every day was something special and incredible. And at the start, they were really thankful to God. But then after a small amount of time, the complaints began. It wasn't good enough anymore. It had gone from the marvellous to the mundane. So they complained. And God, in his mercy, gave them something different. They came across a huge patch of just quail laying around. And after enjoying the quail, they began to complain again and say to the Lord, we wish we were back in slavery in Egypt. At least they had cucumbers. (laughs) My goodness. Can you imagine? It would be just like us with manna if we woke up in the morning and walked out of our house and there was just arnit biscuits just everywhere. (laughs) Incredible for a day or two, and then we would begin to complain. I'm sure manna was healthier for, it, for them than what Arnott's biscuits are. The cross, I fear for us, is no different to this. Something amazing has occurred at the cross, something incredible that has shaped and changed the entire world and us. But it becomes mundane to us and we forget about it and it drifts into the back of our minds. This morning I want to take the time to remember not just what happened upon the cross, not just the act of Jesus dying for us, but try and comprehend the original meaning of what crucifixion meant at the time that it happened. What did it mean to the Romans and to the Jews? I can tell you that it was not seen in a favourable light. They were not hanging small crucifixes around their necks. It was an action of disgust. And then I want to go on and ask the question, how it is that we have a symbol like the cross go from something that is seen in a light uh, of desperation and humiliation and shame to one that we now hang around our necks and we say that we have pride in, even if we have forgotten. Let's start. What did the crucifixion mean? Crucifixion did not originate with the Romans. It actually started with the Persians and the Assyrians. Only later did execution of this style make it to the Romans. And boy, did they use it. It was reserved only for the lowest lowest of people. Namely slaves, assassins, beggars. I don't have that many assassins anymore. It was never used against Roman citizens. It was thought of as way too low for the Romans. It was only ever used for people that were in the congregation, the Greeks, the Jews. And once the person had been condemned, the perpetrator was then flogged with a whip that was either heavily laden with metal or with bone that would strip the flesh from their backs. This was often called the intermittent death. It was the beginning the perpetrator would then be given the crossbeam of the cross, just the bit that goes horizontal. And they would carry that from the location of their flogging to where it is that they were going to be hung up. 
and around their neck would hang a plaque that carried on it the title of why it is that they had been condemned. Thief, murderer, or perhaps king of the Jews. They would then be bound to the cross, to that crossbeam, either with ropes or with a nail through the hands and then roped around and then hoisted up onto a vertical onto the vertical pole that was already embedded in the ground. There were often pegs that were sitting inside of the vertical pole so that people could, they could lift themselves up and then sit on it. This was to give them relief so that it would drag out for days rather than hours. Jesus did not have one of these pegs as far as I'm aware. The cross was also not what we usually are used to seeing, even from Salvador's painting. It was not something that was high up in the air. You wonder how in the world they got it up there. But instead, it was only high enough to be able to get the feet of of the perpetrator off of the ground. So you were still very much eye to eye. It was intended to shame, to humiliate and degrade the people that were hanging there. It was intentionally positioned right at the, the intersection of major roads so that any that went by would see just who it is that hung there and be able to have their chance at mocking the people that were on the crosses. Cicero, a famous Greco-Roman philosopher, wrote that it was not fitting for respectable people to speak see or even think about such people as those who were hung upon the crucifix. So low were these disgusting people that died in such a way. Now, while it was a significant thing to be killed by the Romans in such a way, it was even worse for the Jews and how they saw it. They, unlike the Romans, did not use such a method of execution. They did have a form of something similar in their culture, which we see in Deuteronomy 21, 22 to 23, where it says, when someone is convicted of a crime punishable by death and is executed, and you hang him on a tree, which the cross is an equivalent of, his corpse must not remain all night upon the tree. You shall bury him the same day, for hanging, anyone hanging on a tree is under God's curse. You must not defile the land that the Lord your God is giving you for possession. Those that committed such significant crimes in the Jewish culture were considered cursed by God. And a curse by God meant inescapable despair and death. And it was earned by those whose sins were considered a threat to the holiness of the nation of Israel, a threat to their security. They, unlike the Romans, however, did not use crucifixion as a method of killing the people. Those that they, they put up there were already dead. They were as an example. And they were either strapped to a pole or they were pierced by it to hold them up there. It was there again to be seen as a most humiliating death. Even after they had died, it was still to humiliate them even further. And it was there to warn everyone else of the consequences of going against the people of God, against the commands of God. 
Aside from never hanging living people, the Jews also did not leave the body up overnight. It was seen to cause impurity in the land, for a person's body was not to be left up. And purity and holiness was essential. So we can see that the execution of Jesus was unusually heinous for the Jews. For to have a person hanging upon the cross signified that they were cursed by God. So how much more this would have meant to a man who was claiming to be the Messiah. The name that literally means the chosen of God. The chosen one. It was in the minds of the leaders and the leaders of the Jews that this man was calling himself the Messiah. He was the one that was going to deliver Israel, to redeem them, to bring back a holy nation that was separate from the, Jews, uh, separate from the Greeks and from the Romans. And they hated him for it. He was calling himself the Son of God and this was blasphemy against God. They saw this as a threat both to their power and to their nation as it was. And so to prove that he was not the Messiah, they hung him up in such a way that he could not possibly be. How could you be the chosen one of God, the one that has been destined to save all of Israel, if you have been hung up on a tree and considered cursed? You can't be both. Jesus was hung up there as a man and as an example of a man that commits sin, a sin that threatens the nation of Israel and threatens the holiness of God's people. And as Jesus hung there upon the cross, naked, whipped, bloodied and beaten, he was that symbol of humiliation at the crossroads where people saw him eye to eye mocking him. He was intended to be a warning to the Jews, not to be like this man, for this man carries with him the curse of God. What a brilliant stroke on behalf of Jesus' enemies. How could one be chosen by God and still be cursed? No one would ever believe in him again. This was their masterstroke. And it worked. Again and again in Scripture, we see that the Jews reject the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, particularly for this reason. Corinthians 1.23 says, We proclaim Christ, this is Paul, Christ crucified, and it is a stumbling block for the Jews and foolishness for the Gentiles. I don't think they were very gentle. In Acts 5.3, Peter goes to the elders and the high priests of Jerusalem and says, Jesus is our Messiah. And it says that they were enraged and wanted to kill them, labelling them as a cult. It is impossible for the Messiah to be someone who was crucified. This was the greatest issue for Christianity in those early days, for the Jews, that there could possibly be. Is Jesus the Messiah if he was hung upon the cross? And this is the lowest of the lowest points in this sermon and we need to remember here that we are pushing forwards and what this sermon is about remember how do we get from a symbol of such humiliation degradation and shame one who is cursed to now a symbol that hangs around our necks how do we get from being cursed to commended 
The answer is found in Galatians 3.13. Uh-oh, too far. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The curse that Jesus bore upon the cross was not his. He took up the humiliation, the degradation, the shame as an innocent man. He took them up to save us, not because he was a threat to the holiness of God or a threat to the nation, but because we were. And it was in the very vindictive act of crucifying Jesus, an attempt to assure that no one would ever believe in who he was, to put him in such a position of humiliation that God's salvation plan unfolded. And it is because they killed him exactly as they did that he was able to save us at all. It is in the very depth of the depravity displayed in the hearts of the man, in this action of putting an innocent man to death, that Jesus releases us from the same fate. He died as all mankind deserved to die, in pain, in agony and in humiliation, and in mockery, and cursed by God. And in the very depths of that turned the symbol of crucifixion, the cross, from curse to commendation. We are no longer left with the promise of death, but of life. No longer destined for humiliation, but exaltation. Have you seen this morning how we have taken the symbol of the cross and all that it entails, all 40 megapixels of its glory, and grown used to it, made it mundane. It is no longer the picture of horror, but it's also no longer now the picture of glory. But we must remember the transforming act of what Jesus did on that cross, to take something that was so heinous and turn it into something that is so wonderful. How I wonder if we have not stopped at the symbol of the cross that we hang around our necks and have in our churches and turn that into mundane, but whether we have also forgotten the wonder of our own salvation. How it is that we have been changed from one who was so deserving of that same shame, that same humiliation, to now one who is exalted and lifted high because of what Christ has done. This surely is something that we should be taking out of our pockets and showing everyone. That we should be bragging about and making much of to everyone who comes around, uh, comes by our way. And my prayer is this Easter that we would spend the time, if this is the case, spend the time in prayer and supplication before the Lord that we might be renewed in our bragging about the cross and our salvation. Let us be ready day and night to tell the wonders of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross where he transformed us from cursed to commended. In a moment, we are going to pray together regarding everything that we've spoken about.
But if you want more prayer and you have a depth of desire that is not sated, if you have a broken heart for the Lord this morning to remember what it is that happened to you in your saving act, continue to come before him in prayer. Feel free to come down the front. And let us remember this Easter what it is that we have inside of our churches, that we have on our buildings or hang around our necks or in our homes. No longer a symbol of being cursed and shamed and humiliated, but a reminder of the salvation that has been given to us so willingly and freely, bought by the, by the life of Jesus. So let us make this season one of boasting in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you because you are the one that did it all. Lord, I'm amazed at how you took something that was seen as so disgusting, something that people would not even speak about, let alone be caught thinking about. Lord, and you transformed it to something that is worthy of being bragged about to everyone, to being gloried in. Father, and I think of those words from Cicero, and I think that they apply to our own sin. Father, our own sin is not something that we would dare be caught thinking or seeing about. Lord, yet you bore the shame of it. Father, help this to mean more to us than mere words, but to be reminded of what it is that you have done and place our faith in you again, renewed this Easter. Let us be an opportunity to be able to make much of you to everyone that we go past. I pray that you may receive much glory in this season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.